Well, hello and welcome to this, the season finale for the 2021-2022 Premier League and Champions League season. The season finale of You'll Never Talk Alone. I'm your friend, Joseph Craven, joined as always by Alex Level. And we are here to break down the the final, uh, talk a little bit about the final match of the year, talk about a little bit more, even though we, we've talked about it a lot, but you know, kind of our final wrap up thoughts on this season as a whole and talk a little bit about something we always like to do heading into the season, keep or sell parentheses or loan. Um, <laughs> and where we run through the roster and, and try to make our like snap decisions on uh, certain roster moves we think could be feasible or we might want to see or something like that with our current Liverpool roster. So we're going to jump into that this episode uh, and we are, uh, I think, ready and excited to, to talk about this and, and, and kind of reminisce a bit more on, sure, it was, a, it was a disappointing final match, but what an incredible season, a season that we will want to celebrate and want to celebrate for many more, many more years to come. Uh, before we jump into that, I do think it is important, um, and I, I'm a firm believer that uh, the world doesn't need everybody to loudly vocalize about every current event all the time. Um, you know, I, I think not just not to like say that current events are not you know important to talk about all that, but I feel like there's a lot of people that shout into the abyss when it comes to social media or anything like that when talking publicly on things. But we we need to go ahead and and start off this episode, of course. Uh, just quickly stating our, our disappointment as fans in the handling of um, the Champions League final by the by UEFA, by the um, the, the the French sporting authorities, uh, the people that have basically denied <laughs> um, what has by uh, all the evidence that has come out um, seemingly been quite true, and uh, the disservice that they. Um, the disservice that they, they they presented to the fans, to the game, to the sport itself, um, I think that ultimately it it was it, it took away from the match. Uh, it took away from the obviously it took away from the joy of so many fans that had traveled to Paris uh, to try to watch the match in person. Um, that you hear countless stories of of fans who, due to uh, negligence from authorities or um, attacks. Uh, which is a, a, an absolute shame. Um, attacks that uh, that occurred, and you know, uh, from various parties, and uh, you hear these all these stories, and you just can't help but think about how that's just never how it's supposed to be. Uh, it's never how it's supposed to be. I think we can we can be very thankful that things weren't worse than they were, um, for sure. But I, I feel like we have to start things off by just stating, you know, our just public disappointment in the way the authorities have handled the situation. Um, and I, I think this is a, enough. This is a, an important enough issue, um, a relatable enough issue here on the podcast, or, or is related enough to what, obviously to what we talk about all the time that we have. We need to say something. So I just want to go ahead and, and get that out of the way, Alex. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Um, you can uh, uh, feel free to, to jump in here if you have anything else you want to say. But I know it's not a, necessarily a subject we want to harp on a huge amount. But I do want to go ahead and just get that out of the way so we could, you know, so it's out there and, and, and kind of our disgust in the way it's handled. And we hope that there will be a push for um, justice and the truth uh, to, you know, help remedy, to help make amends, to help make, uh, I don't know, make things right a little bit more. So just wanted to stay that, say that first and foremost. Yeah. You, I mean, it's, you don't want to ever see it happen to any fan base. And it hurts that little right. bit more when it happens to your team's fan base. And it hurts that even more when there's historical uh, resonance with yeah. other things that have happened to the fan base. And there were people in that crowd that were at Hillsborough and yeah. they were there again. And I cannot imagine how terrifying that must've been. And I can't imagine how terrifying it must've been for all those kids and their families that went like, you see so many, posts of people saying oh i surprised my son or i surprised my daughter with tickets to the final and they get there and that's what happens and yeah like you said this was supposed to be a celebration of the season a celebration of this team um and it turned into i mean it, it's not an exaggeration to say like a fear for lives 
Like there, there were so many awful stories and there's also so many inspirational stories of fans in our fan base, just going out of their way to make sure that everyone else was taken care of. So, uh, I mean, I, it's weird in this situation to say that you're proud of your fan base and something mm. so horrible, but it, it's a proud to be a Liverpool fan after seeing how our fans handled it, how the fan base has come together um, and how they're not standing for what the, the lies that are being peddled by the people in charge and fair play to the club too. They've done everything that they can to ensure that everyone gets heard and that they don't let the name get, smeared and they don't let the fans take the blame for something that clearly was not their fault. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, it's been, it, it's also been, uh, I, I think important to, to note that, you know, you did have some, um, you know, real fans that got caught up in things as well mm-hmm. um, and had to experience this sort of stuff. And, and you hear stories about uh, the, some of the fans, I know there are two different entrances, so it wasn't like a huge amount, but, some of the, the the fans that did get caught up in some of that, you hear stories about fans sticking out for each other, regardless of what kit they were wearing at the time, uh, and trying to keep everyone safe um, in the situation. So, uh, props to any of the um, you know Real fans that also got caught up in it that either lended a hand or or helped to to try to keep things as peaceful and calm as it could have been. Because I mean, like I said, we could we could be talking about a, a much more dire and worse situation um, mm-hmm. if if cooler heads had not prevailed to the best of their ability. And I'm, I can't state enough how how significant that is as well, that we're not talking about that. We are just talking about what ultimately was a day ruined, um, probably some things stolen, uh, some injuries that people should hopefully be able to to recover from, you know, and not, not talking about, you know, a, 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 well, I mean, just an absolute disaster. So, mm-hmm. Um, are thankful for that, but as we've said before, we're 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 just beyond ready for this for the <laughs> for the people in charge to just take accountability. Um, to just take accountability. All right, let's talk about the match itself, though. It was I, it has been almost a week now, and I still cannot comprehend a single bit of this match. I cannot comprehend a single bit of this result. I cannot comprehend. I think there even there was a very tongue-in-cheek article posted by the Athletic, talking about in an in an alternate universe Real Madrid would be champions, but they're not, and talked about how oh yeah, well of course Sadio Mane buried this shot, you know, yeah. just a mere eighty something seconds in, and that's that's what it was. It was, it felt like the end result was out of some sort of weird alternate universe because there was nothing, nothing, in that entire match that Real Madrid did better than we did. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, full credit to uh, Thibaut Courtois, who had an incredible match, who very clearly holds a grudge against the entire country of England yeah. um, for, for, <laughs> for being slighted when he was in the Premier League. Um, pretty much even openly said that, which I think he did, he's, yeah. He I'm like, hey, hey, man, props to you for being honest. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but... Um, you know, so full credit to him and for sure, but it, it still boggles the mind that that was the end result. Uh, Alex, have you been able to make any sense of that match at all in the, uh, you know, almost a full week since it wrapped up? Not really. We, it was kind of the only concern that we had going into the match was that it was Real Madrid in the Champions League. Like, I know we were scared of Vinicius and I know we were scared of Benzema um, and and then we were really just scared of Real Madrid being Real Madrid in this competition. Yep. That's pretty much what happened. Like he, they just won because they win. That was it. That was uh, it just nature reset itself in some way. And that's how they made it happen. And it, it doesn't make much sense. They did a really good job of being in the way. Um, but I will say that uh, I know we'd also brought up that Ancelotti kind of typically has had Klopp's number, but yeah. I would not say that is how the game unfolded at all. You wouldn't say that they out-tacticked us, that there was some sort of defensive masterclass. It was right. just some sort of just ridiculousness going on with the universe. Uh, I also saw it put, uh, I think by the same person who wrote that comedic uh, article on The Athletic of like, 
the the narrative of Liverpool getting to three finals and not scoring, and the narrative of Tibor Courtois having the man of the match performance cannot exist in the same sentences. You need to pick one. Yeah. And you pretty much have to pick the one that Courtois was man of the match and he saved Real Madrid. Like yeah. I, there was another stat that Mo Salah had more shots on target than like six of the past finalists. He had it by himself. Yeah. And it's just it's it baffling that we could not score uh, other than just I don't know destiny. Right. Which is what it felt like, some sort of sick, twisted destiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, Courtois was – he was great. He was the the Tibalt Courtois that you you saw, you know, glimpses and glimmers of what he should be and, and should be turning into, like, when he was in the Premier League. Um, before, you know, he kind of just fell out of favor and, and kind of fell out of form. That's not the Tibalt Courtois that you expect to see, but it's pretty clear he came in extra motivated and he had a great performance. I mean, just the sheer amount of moments in which we had chances, we had great opportunities. And yeah, our our finishing was was bad. Our finishing, you know, just was not what we had gotten used to seeing as of late. This was the finishing that we would have seen, I mean, two, three seasons ago, um, where we had so many matches that were like, how in the world we got like one goal, but we had, you know, like 30 shots on goal. We're like, what happened? You know, it was reminiscent of, of that, of like a three, three years ago, but it was, um, but the one, you know, at the same time, it was, if he had not been as on, we still would have gotten two or three goals, you know, even with our finishing being as just, kind of just reckless and, and aimless as it seemed to be this time around. If he was not on, it'd be some goals. If we did not have – if we shot a little bit better but he was still on, we would have had some goals. It was just terrible combination of both of those things where, like, we were just a little bit off, but we weren't that off, mm-hmm. you know? We weren't off enough to just to not score at all. But then he was on, and if he wasn't on, then yeah. it's just a terrible combination. I hate yeah. it. I hate it. But what do, what do you feel like? Do you feel like there was anything that, that Real did that that was working well? I mean, you mentioned before, of course, that uh, their main offensive attack was get the ball up to, you know, Vicinius because he's super fast. That let him send it in. That was on display, but it doesn't necessarily mean outside of that one time that they ended up getting a goal. It wasn't that effective. Was there anything, though, in Real that you saw that, that was working? They were just getting in our way. They were hunkering down. They were playing, I, w- I won't ne- necessarily even say, like, solid defense because yeah. there were eight people back. Like, they just condensed the field into 35 yards from their goal, and there ultimately just wasn't any space. And you could see it time and time again where we beat one person and another person would be in the way. And we weren't getting those dynamic runs into the box that had kind of characterized us when we scored five and six at the beginning of the season just because the players were exhausted, and you could see that. Like, they were doing their utmost, but there were just those little extra things that we would have done or that players would have been in that position, and we just didn't quite do them. Uh, And you don't want to say that that's – a bad thing like we still created so many chances we still had shots we still got around it enough times we just couldn't put all of the pieces together and i know we all said it to each other but it's like the worst part about the result is that you can't look at anything and say we did that wrong yeah we didn't do anything wrong we weren't the worst team we didn't screw up like the goal that they scored it was the one time that they didn't attack through Vinicius on that side. And I I mean, you can ask Valverde and I don't think he'd be able to tell you if that was a shot or a cross. It just worked out the way that it did. And it just was like, well, that's Real Madrid. And we had our chances to do what we usually do, but Courtois was in the way. So yeah, it's super disappointing and it just sucks, but you can't. I, I, there's nothing about the team. There's nothing about the performance that I look back on and really regret. No, no, you just you can't. 
because yeah. they're like we said that we didn't do anything wrong or do anything poorly. It just that's it's one of those sad, you know, well not sad realities. It's one of those harsh realities. But that's how sports work sometimes, where sometimes you can do just about everything right and you still don't win. Um, and it, you know, it it just sucks. But that's just kind of. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Um, I think it does. Sorry to cut you off, but I think the one miss that I would say is that Divock Origi was injured. That match had Divock Origi written all over it the way they were playing. And it kind of seems like he is our guy that when we're up against that type of team, he just comes in and creates chaos and does what Origi does and baffles everyone that he sees, but we score. Yeah. And him being injured did not give us that kind of wild card. And we could have used him because we have five subs in this competition. Yeah. And, and that, I guess if we, there was a regret, it would be that he was not fit and couldn't get the send off that he deserved for actually playing the last two games of their respective yeah. competitions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of like personnel on the bench, we brought on everybody we should have brought on. He would have been the one additional substitute that would have really shaken things up. Yeah, fully agreed. Fully agreed. He would have been – it would have been good to see maybe maybe an opportunity where uh, he and Jota both get a little bit more of a run because, you know, Jota, of course, came in, but it, it was – it's difficult. It was difficult to find somebody to, to replace because, truth be told, our forwards were, were doing so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, Luis Diaz was – the guy that we were running through for the entire first half. Um, every attack we had went through him and was effective. Uh, so it, it, it's it's hard to say that, but you're absolutely right. Like if we had had just a little bit more time maybe, and if we had obviously the availability of, of Divac to mix things up a bit more, to throw in something different, a different look, and try to break through, that would have been great. Um, but – yeah, it's hard to criticize anything that we did. It just was one of those harsh days in which it just was not going to work out. Um, and that's a bummer. But at the same time, that's where like I always come back to, and this is this is kind of the overall theme of what we've talked a lot about, especially towards the end of this season, um, as, as we've had the weird quasi-quadruple chase, you know, but like the Premier League also was never – necessarily quite like like that whole weirdness but like just measuring success based off of trophies is a terrible way to measure success Mm -hmm. um because you have so many situations like this like this particular match where the better team doesn't lift the trophy you know so that's why you can't ever just like measure success solely off of that you have to be able to look at the grand scheme of things and say this you know uh, this was still a successful campaign, obviously. Be foolish to believe that second place in the league, second place in the Champions League, and two domestic trophies was ever a bad season. Yeah. Uh, we could be very frustrated that we were not able to defeat Real, but there was also, I mean, you got to also think that the, the situation going on with the delay of the game, the situation outside, all of that had to play an effect of just throwing everyone off, um, to you know, as well. So, so you have all that going on. I mean, but. Does the does losing the Champions League final affect your assessment of the season at all, Alex? I mean, I, we we talked a little bit in our last episode when it was you, me, and Will, and how we kind of rate the season and how it's been a phenomenal season, regardless of how that match ends up. But obviously, that match is going to affect things a little bit. Does it affect your overall assessment of like scale of one to ten how you rate the season? I think I gave a 9.5 last time saying yeah. that if we won the Champions League, it'd be a 10. And if we mm-hmm. somehow managed to win the the league and the Champions League, it would have been like a 50. Uh, I think maybe I'm like a 9.4. That now, like, it sucks that we didn't win the Champions League, but this team still did something incredibly special and put in so many performances. And it has that distinction of being a team that played every match with without replays that it possibly could have played like no not many other teams get to do that and it just shows how good we are uh i mean there there's a special atmosphere around the club now uh and i know there's some 
obviously uh, other fans were like, why are they having a parade? But they, they're just, I mean, we get to have a parade. We won yeah. two cups. We get to yeah. celebrate our wins and we didn't get to celebrate like this when we won the league. And right. Also it's something special about this club that we can use that as a way to forget about the disappointment of what happens um, in Paris. And you could even, I, maybe I'm naive. I chose to believe what the players were saying. Like we thought that after how the game turned out, it was just going to suck. Like this was super disappointing. We maybe weren't feeling it. It just didn't seem right but it ended up being some of the best days of their lives. Like they, they just had that special connection with the fan base. And I, I don't think many other clubs have that. And so I, of course, this is a successful season. This is one of my favorite seasons of all time. Just watching yeah. how we played, how we gave it everything to the end and no other team in the way that we're, how good we are is having to compete with the, the landscape that we've had to compete with before. Like uh, we're doing it the normal way and we're up against people who are not doing it the normal way. And we're still giving them a run for their money. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No, I a hundred percent agree with your assessment. Um, especially the fact that, you know, I think it was huge. I think it was important that we did celebrate the victories mm-hmm. that we did go ahead and have that parade to celebrate the domestic cup titles. Cause how, I, I mean, like I know those aren't like the most as prestigious as they might've been, you know, uh, 20 years ago and or, or beyond that, but they still mean something. And it's still a level of success that other teams in the Premier League would celebrate if they had won. <laughs> and uh, if they, you know, it's only when they don't win that they like downplay it a huge amount. Everyone wants to be able to, to enjoy those things, uh, to enjoy the, the victories. We have victories to celebrate. And so we have to celebrate that. And I think that's, that's not just a sporting thing. That's also just, in everyday life, <laughs> you know, it's, it's better for your mental health if you actually do celebrate the victories in your life uh, and don't just focus on the defeats, you know? Yeah, um, I, and I mean, the, the fans needed it after Paris, how that yeah. whole treatment went down. And the women's team deserved it too. They won the league. Yeah. Like, they deserve to have a parade to celebrate that. Like, there's plenty to celebrate around the club and no one should fault the club for celebrating it or the fans yeah. for enjoying it. You know, I, I've said it before, and I was thinking about this earlier, but, you know, in all my years of sports fandom, Liverpool is definitely the only team I've ever supported that were not, like, an underdog team. Mm-hmm. But now I real – and so there's always a part of me that's like, I just don't – you know, it doesn't feel quite natural because I always like an underdog. But now I realize that we may not be, like, your traditional underdogs, but everyone else hates us. Yeah. <laughs> And so many other fans will root against us or root for whoever we're going against just because they hate us. And I realized, hey, you know what? Eh, that That's a pretty unique thing, too. <laughs> yeah, people are going to complain that we had a or, – or make a fuss about us having a parade. We deserve to celebrate our victories. You're just mad that we have something to celebrate and you don't. Exactly. You know? That's exactly it. Yeah. They hate us because they ain't us. They hate us because they ain't us. That's how it is. That's how it always will be. All right. Well, that's going to – I feel like we've we've talked a lot in the last few episodes about our assessments of this season as in general, and we talked a lot more in detail about what has made it such a good year and a memorable year and a season that, that we will as fans uh, hold on to and talk about for many, many more years. Uh, so I, I want to go ahead and move into this uh, – Break down this this end of the season keep or sell or loan uh, <laughs> game that we like to play here between between the two of us here and uh, and and just kind of jump into it and talk about it. Um, and before we really get into the actual like breakdown and game part of it, or I call it a game, it's really not like a competition. It's just more so, it's more of a game than it is a serious discussion, I guess. Um, but before that, obviously, there are two players that you've already mentioned one, and uh, the news is broken, of course, about Sadio Mane's desire to go ahead and leave. Let's go ahead, and obviously, Divac Origi and Sadio Mane are kind of on the quote-unquote sell list. <laughs> but I want to go ahead and talk about them first, because as Divac has already agreed to move on, and as it seems like Sadio is going to go ahead and put in like a transfer request so that we can try to make some money off the transfer this year as opposed to just a contract running out, um, if that is the case. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the contributions of Divac Origi and Sadio Mane 
over their Liverpool careers. Um, uh, you, you've already mentioned a bit about about how Divac has really embraced and, and succeeded in that super sub uh, change of pace role and all that. But Sadio Mane, of course, has been a mainstay since he showed up. You bought his kit as soon as this <laughs> announcement was made. Um, Alex, just tell me a little bit about those two guys, what they, their contributions that they've made and what they mean to this club. I mean, they're Liverpool legends, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for similar reasons, also different reasons, in a sense, like the, they just, yeah, they're weird embodiments of the transformation of the club. Um, Sadio, I mean, was a hit from day one, from moment one, from half one. Yep. When he started playing, like, I'll, I'll never forget his first match against Arsenal. He scored that goal, then jumped on Klopp's shoulders. Like, that was one of the, that was, it was just such a fun time. Like, that was when you as a fan and everyone as a fan was like, there's something happening here. Like, this is just, you know, it's something truly special to watch. And he's been there and he's scored big goals and he's helped us out. We wouldn't have won the league without him. We wouldn't have won the Champions League without him. He, he scores massive goals. He's played different roles for us. He's always been there. He's rarely ever been hurt, which is, uh, considering the past few years for the club, is insane to say that he's rarely ever been hurt. Um, And he's turned into one of the best players in the world. And there's no argument against that. Like, he's he wins everything. He's won AFCON. He's scoring. He's assisting. He's always involved. I know that we've always said, like, when he plays really bad, he's really, really bad. But... That also highlights how good he is normally and how good he's able to be on a consistent basis. So I, it sucks that he's leaving, and I really hope that something can be done to keep him because he's just part of such a special time and a special group for the club. Origi, not necessarily the first name on the team sheet, but the scorer of iconic goals. He's always there. He's always just lurking around, ready to shake things up. He he's he's there when we need him. We send him on. There's been times throughout his career at the club where we're like, why is he still here? What's he doing? We've right. seen him. But then you hear Klopp say stuff like he's the best finisher at the club. And that's full stop. Like, and we have most a lot and Sadio Mane on the team. And he's just uh he's just been something like a cult hero, the true yeah. embodiment of a cult hero. Um and another player that we wouldn't have achieved what we've achieved without he scored goals that have like per capita, this level of celebration that has happened <laughs> with his goals is probably higher than any other player on the team. Um, and he's earned this move to Milan and I yeah. think he's going to get a lot of playing time there and he's going to a league champion because he's that caliber of player. Yep. Even when he, and he's never complained. He's never made a deal about, being backup he he knew his role he understood his role he was there he did what he needed to do um and seems is a a very popular figure within the club and it's just a shame that we're he he didn't get to sign off with playing because he was with him in both of those games who knows what would have happened i know i know exactly if i have to talk about you know like one characteristic that would summarize both of these guys, Divac Origi and Sadio Mane, is that they're just winners. You know, they just are. You could talk about the skill level, you know, and obviously, especially with a player like Sadio Mane, the skill level off the charts. Uh, you can talk, you know, on a negative side, you can talk about how Divac Origi has not necessarily uh, become maybe like the, the next big Belgian star. Like he was kind of, thought he was going to be when that move actually occurred when he came to Liverpool. Um, gosh, what was that? Six years ago? I feel no, like longer than that. I think seven eight, years ago, it was like around the 2014 world cup. Cause he was there. It was. Yeah, it was. was like, that's right. Like a 19 year old kid or something. That's right. I was putting it a little later, but I actually distinctly remember. Yeah. So you're talking about eight years, you know, when he was, up and coming next Belgian star. Maybe he hadn't really developed into that, but he just, he was a guy exactly what you're saying. He understood his role and he knew in the clutch moments is when he had to step up. And he, these, there's just guys that have it in them to just make victories happen. Um, And these are two guys that have that. They're just serial winners. And 
you just can't say enough about how important that is to a team and how important that is to just kind of their legacy as well. So, yeah, technically speaking, we don't quite know what the future actually holds for Sadio Mane, but it seems as though, um, you know, a deal may be brokered this summer uh, or this transfer window, I, I mean. And uh, if that is the case, obviously we'll we'll miss him tremendously, but we thank him so much for his service. And Divac already uh, signed that deal to go to Milan. Great situation for him. Can't be more happy for him than to have him walk into a good situation uh, for the next stage of his career. And obviously we wish him the best in their next stages of the career. And also we wish you would stay, Sadio. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll jump into the actual uh, keep or sell section now. We're starting, uh, we go by each uh, position group. We'll start with the goalkeepers. And obviously there's one name on this goalkeeper list that really stands out that it kind of raises eyebrows of like, oh man, they're, they're still, they're on the team. They're on the roster, all that. That's of course, obviously Marcelo Pitaluga. Um <laughs> No, that's this Loris Carius, who we always forget is still technically on the team. <laughs> so the Carius is there. I think we can both agree. Uh, shocking, and surely someone will give us a little bit of money for him, right? No, his contract is up at the <laughs> oh, end of this right. month, so we we don't get anything. And I, again, wish him well. It kind of seems like he's on the road that Tim Visa was on to become a WWE star. He's freaking jacked now. He's massive. Uh, so. Uh, whatever comes next for him, he's going to do great. Uh, yeah. Honestly, he could just be a male model and be fine. He'll be crushing it. He'll be crushing it. And crushing he, uh, the heads of the people taking right, his photos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there, are there any changes you would make to this goalkeeper room here that we have? Uh, obviously, it's the, the most slender position group in terms of actual numbers on here. But uh, is there are there any changes you would maybe make? I think the one thing that seems to come up is that Adrian is potentially looking to go to a club where he can play more. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, yeah. I will say he seems really, really popular with the players. He seems like a really fun dude. Uh, all the goalkeepers seem crazy, except for Kavid Kelleher. You kind of saw him yeah. kind of low-key in the parade, but I know we all talked about it. Like, once Allison puts that scarf on his head, you know things are it's about game to over. go down. Like, <laughs> party rock anthem's coming on, and he's going off. But Adrian, he, like all the, the players seem to really like him. And if he wants to stay around, that'd be fine. I, please don't play, but yeah. stick around and be everybody's friend. That's totally fine. But couldn't begrudge him for looking for first team action elsewhere. Because he's definitely like third choice keeper at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's there's obviously no debate uh, as to Kevin being the, the second dude. Uh, he's proven himself and he's still... Uh, I mean, what is he, 23? Yeah, 23. So he's still got room to really grow in his skill set because we know that, that that goalkeepers tend to keep developing and you know for years and years. Uh, so there's, there's obviously – but you can't, you can't say enough about the value of having a veteran presence like Adrian in there. Um, so, yeah, if he wanted to stay, it would be great to stay. But I think, I think he probably wants to go somewhere and play again. I think someone who is used to being a starter um, he, he wants to go back and, and get regular playing time, even at a smaller level. I think it's, but you know, as you're, you're in your mid thirties, you know, your career, you know, you've only got a few years left in the career. Hey, might as well go out playing. Um, so I can't blame him. And I, I hope, I think it'd be good for him. And I, I hope that I just want the best for him, honestly. And, then we can finally move into that uh, Allison Kavim and then uh, and Marcelo as the third string. Yeah. <laughs> the way it should be. Have a random 19, 18, 19 year old keeper just oh, hanging out our, as a third string. One of our 58 Polish youth internationals lurking yeah. in the wings. <laughs> I felt like there's even that, that. Yeah. Okay. That is it. We just have those five keepers listed. I, I felt like there was might be another. No, there is Harvey Davies. Yeah, he was on his in the match day squad for some cup match. Yep, sell him. He's, he's there. He sucks. Yeah, he's at eighteen. He's washed up. Get him out yeah. of here. Get him out of here. All right, let's look at defenders then. Uh, obviously, a few names stand out as you know, like we would never ever ever consider getting rid of Virgil. 
ever. Uh, you know, Andy and and Trent, clear cut, obvious starting fullbacks that we hope continue to play. I always forget that Andy's only twenty eight as well. Really seemed like he was he was hitting his thirties, but he's he's not. But uh, there's a handful of other names here in the defense. Uh, you've got you know Kanate, you've got Joe Gomez, you got Constas Simikas, Simikas. You got Joel Matip, Reese Williams. Uh, you go through the the dudes that have been out like on loan, um, like a Nat Phillips, Ben Davies, uh, Seth Vandenberg. I forgot about him too. <laughs> Nico Williams. But anyway, uh, you look at the the defenders here. What do you do, though? Let's focus up on some of those guys that see regular playing time, like Konate Gomez, uh, Matip. Um, any of those guys you feel like we could maybe move along, uh, maybe move them into other stages of their careers? Any any of those names you think, um, Alex, that, that you would maybe move from? Or do you just try to move maybe some of the other guys, the fringe guys? Uh, no, keep all the, the main guys – Anybody who's played for us this season in defense, pretty much yep. keep them. Uh, I don't even necessarily want to sell the fringe guys, but if you get a good offer, you take it. Again, they'd be players that you can't really hold against them that they'd want to go play somewhere else or to get more playing time. Like Nico Williams did really well mm-hmm. with Fulham on loan. Could obviously stick go back there because uh, Fulham tend to get promoted and buy everyone. Um, so totally makes sense. I mean, they could buy Nat Phillips too, like since Fulham just buy everybody, but he yep. helped Bournemouth get promoted too. I mean, they're, they've put themselves in good positions to earn moves and they'd probably play more elsewhere, but I, I wouldn't necessarily hate to keep them around because um, they, they get it. They've been around the club before. I mean, again, we wouldn't be where we are now without Nat Phillips last year. But uh, and then like Reese Williams, another loan would probably help him out. But I mean, he can stay and practice with the team. Like that's probably helping him just as much. Mm-hmm. So it, not nobody that I'd really like have a hankering to sell. But I'm guessing we'll probably get some good offers for uh, Nat Phillips and Nico Williams for sure. Ben Davies doesn't exist, so I don't. He's really not know where real. He sent him. Uh, and Seth Vandenberg uh, apparently did pretty well on loan at Preston. So I, I could see him getting loaned again. So I don't think he'd be in and around the first team, really. But uh, it's nice to hear that he's coming along development-wise. I get the feeling that there's that we're, we're stashing some of these guys because we feel like they can um, be <clears throat> rotational center backs for us. Uh, and, and so there's like, cause surely there has to be a reason we went and got Ben Davies, right? Like there has to be a reason that he was even brought in at all other than just to like have another name on the roster. Surely they were like, yeah, there's something about him we like, and maybe we'll need it, you know, surely. But that's just, it still is just a head scratching move that like he showed up and has never once featured. You know? <laughs> Played but, one uh, half of a preseason game. Yeah. So weird. But that's what I definitely feel like you get guys like uh, Vandenberg. Like, I feel like we we felt very comfortable stashing him. Because what? Did we get him when he was 18? 17, he was 18? 17, yeah. Yeah. So we got it when he was very young. I think we were just we're just comfortable with, uh, with just stashing him and waiting for him to get a little bit more experience and then trying to, like, work him into rotation and seeing what happens first. Like, I really feel like and I could be way off base on this, but I feel like with the with the defenders, with the center backs in particular, that's a position group where we probably wouldn't sell them blindly, unless there's just as a good offer. We probably mm-hmm. would at least try to see what they looked like or or you know how they performed in some sort of rotation before making a decision. I just think that it's a group where, I mean, you never really, you never see us really having a deep rotation even when we're very healthy you know it really is Virgil Joel and like Konate maybe Gomez 
you know, and that like, but it really is like three people. Like you can count on Virgil, Joel, and 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 Ibra being like the main three dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm curious about that. Nat Phillips, I'd love to keep him just because we know how good he is in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's yeah. he's a specialist. He's a specialist <laughs> at it. Um, and and he's comfortable with it. Um, I, I do wonder, there's a part of me that does wonder, you know, if if we go ahead and since we have that Virgil, Joel, Ibra main three, if Joe Gomez gets pushed out and we and we try to make a little money off of that, uh, off of off of him being healthy, finally being productive. Um, I like him. I've always liked him as a player. Uh, and I think he's grown more comfortable in the last couple of seasons. He's not as error prone as he was when he was in his like, you know, early 20s. But at the same time, I feel like that's a guy that we can we could probably see a, a move for him and it would that would make the most sense to me. I would like I'm talking myself a little bit into saying that moving Joe Gomez makes more sense than moving Nat Phillips. Yeah. Which is so weird, but I'm talking myself into it a little bit. <laughs> see, I think Gomez is our backup right back now. So I think oh, that will true. make Nico Williams. Sure. be more appealing to other teams to submit offers for. That's a good point. And Gomez has looked a little bit more comfortable at right back, which I, I kind of hate to say because I've fought against him ever playing yeah. there for so long. Um, I do think that I, I, yeah, I don't see us. I don't see Nico Williams in a Liverpool Jersey anymore. I think he's done. Um, and I think that's good for him. I think yeah. it's good for him that he did well. Um, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's 100 percent Fulham's just gonna go ahead and snag him. Um, we're taking their guys; they take ours. You know. Yeah. Um, but that's where I, I I feel like I would be. It'd be hard pressed to see like Nat Phillips or Reese Williams, you know, going anywhere unless it's just another loan, or and and Vanderberg uh, going anywhere unless it's just another loan. Also makes me wonder, like, if if in the next couple of years or something, we might actually see. Uh, Billy show up. Billy Comatillo. Billy the kid. <laughs> Billy the kid. Uh, curious about him. And we have, I'm just looking again. We have so many teens at the center back position. Owen Beck, James Norris, Jarrell Kwanza, Connor Bradley. Have to give a shout out to Connor Bradley. Yeah. Uh, Billy the kid. So it, there's, there's youth presence there, which is pretty exciting. Makes me curious about that. But yeah, I don't see too many moves here. But I think Nico Williams for sure, and I could see since you pointed out Joe Gomez really being needing to be the second choice right back. Yeah, he's staying. So maybe maybe Nat. And we just also just signed that Scottish right back kid. What's his name? Something Doan. Oh no! We so we signed Doan. I think he plays midfield. We're also interested in Calvin Ramsey. Okay. Scottish right back. So he could be another option if we do get that deal over the line. But again, he'd be young, up and coming, done yeah. it in the Scottish league, but not necessarily done it in the, for the, for the, one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Let you, should we, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's move into the midfield. Uh, obviously a, a, a section of, of players that, I mean, crucial. Like every single midfielder we have uh, plays <laughs> and plays often and plays a lot. You know, um, you got Fabinho, you got Tiago. It's fun being in a position now in which it's pretty obvious why it is we, that we push to get Tiago in um, and why that Tia- that that argument, quote unquote argument, <laughs> that Tiago throws off how we play when he first arrived was so stupid. Um but let me see. Got ben young Doak t- is the guy's name, not Doan. Ben Doak. Okay. He's a winger. Thank you. All right. I, I was going to get really mad if you didn't get that yeah. right, because I he's definitely a, know about him. He's a wee lad, so we <laughs> probably won't see him in a while. Uh, yeah, speaking of wee lads, we do have some youngsters like Elijah Dixon Bonner, Isaac Mabaya, Tyler Morton, who I believe it, that the coaches are very, very high on his potential. Um, Mokamu Framdorf as well in the midfield. All guys that I feel like, you know, too early to make any decisions on there. Elijah Dixon Bonner, though, is in his 20s. 
I, yeah, I feel like he'll end up leaving yeah. at some point. I don't really see a path to the first team for him. But, again, it seems like it's working to have him around. Uh, he seemed to have fun at the parade. So, like, I, <laughs> we'd be open to have offers for him. He's just probably going to play for the U23s for a while. I think all those will probably play for the U23s for a while. Uh, the only one will probably – only two will probably look at loaning out, I feel like, are Tyler Morton and probably Leighton Clarkson again. Uh, yeah. Probably send him to Blackburn just because that's what we do with our young center mids. Uh, and and for they seem to, it seems to work out pretty well for them. But they see, those two seem to be the ones that we really have potential, like we think they have potential. I could easily see uh, Dixon Bonner turning into the next Shea Ojo. Yeah. <laughs> Who's just like still technically here, but on loan always. Yeah. See him doing that. I want to ask you about um, some of the – all right, so the obvious guys that, like, are are no question, Fab, Tiago, Hindo, Curtis Jones, you know, for being a a 21-year-old just stepping in, I feel like it's kind of a no question that Curtis Jones is someone we want to keep around for a while because – because he's just just good and he's he's just now getting here. But you've got like a veteran like James Milner. You've got Ox. You got Nabby. Um, I want to ask your opinion, kind of, on those guys. What well, uh, if there's there's what do we do there? What do we do with with those guys there? Is there anyone that you're like, hey, we could probably move on, or or what do you think? I think we give we try to give Milner another year deal. I, it's kind of all just depends on if he wants to go somewhere and play more. Yeah, uh, but he's would hate to see him go. He's been such an influence for the team and he's just grown so much. I know we say it over and over again, how rare it is for someone of his age and profile to develop as a player at that stage in their career, but he really has. Uh, and it would just be a shame to see him go. Um, Nabby, it was great to see him not really be injured all the time this season. Yeah. You really saw, why we brought him in, what he offers to the team, the different look he gives to the midfield. Uh, I, I think he's earned his place here, uh, and he's approaching the end of his deal, and I kind of think we'll offer him a new one. The club seemed keen to keep him around, uh, but I also know that PSG might submit some stupid offer, and that might be hard to turn down, but I'd like to keep him. I'd also like to keep Ox, just okay. for uh, – he's great – with the with the team he's great presence to have around i do think he'll go i think he sees the writing on the wall that he's not really in the plans anymore and will probably go somewhere else and he deserves to be playing he's a great player on his day it sucks to see him go but he it, it probably the best for him to go somewhere else and I, I feel like we will get offers for him and it will we'll get what we deserve for him and he'll get what he deserves to play somewhere else yeah, fully agreed. Um, I, I think that that Ox, I think he he, I think it's pretty clear with like how little he really was playing towards the end of this season. Um, that I, I think it's pretty clear that like yeah, like you said, the writing on the wall. He he probably is not going to feature much, especially if we are going to be using Harvey and Carvalho kind of in more midfield roles. Yeah, uh, which it kind of looks like that might be the plan with the two of them is we'll we'll take them off the wing a little bit more. Um, obviously, that's all speculation, but you know if that's the case, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's 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 right and fair for Ox to to go somewhere where he's going to play more. Uh, I think that James like keeping James Milner until he wants to retire from the sport should be a priority for us. Yeah, um, uh, more so for what he brings off the pitch than on it you know, but also what he still brings on it. Like he's still contributing well. Uh, but he is uh, like, same thing I said about Adrian, you know, like it, you just, you can't discount how valuable um, a, a veteran leader like that is. Um, and, and the fact that you've, you've already got a, a great team captain in J- Jordan Henderson to have just like another great, yeah. you know, like second captain basically. And James Milner, like that's amazing. Um, I, I would want to keep him for sure. Nabby is the question mark for me. Um, because what what it is for me is uh, it, is that I want 
again, going back to what we want to do with like Harvey, what we want to do, especially, you know, in another year or so, maybe with Tyler Morton, uh, with uh, Carvalho as well. Like depending on what we want to do with those guys, if you know, if, if we go ahead and maybe try to facilitate a deal so that we can get something for Nabby that we can then turn back into, you know, another true winger to, to back up um, uh, Mo or, or something like that, or, you know, um, something like that. So I, I, I feel like I don't want to, there's very few players on this team that I would look at and just be like, yes, I would want to sell them. <laughs> You know, this team is amazing, and I want to keep them together. Nabby's a guy that I could see the benefit of getting some something in return for. Not that I would want it to happen, but I could see the benefit of it. Uh, and he might be the only one that, that, that has that for me in the midfield. Because Ox, yeah, I think it's better for both parties to, to maybe move on. And again, love him. Thankful for his contribution. But I, I think you see Harvey Elliott really take over this upcoming year. Um, with Ox, like he's the one player who didn't really play that when he didn't play and they showed him on the bench, you could see the pain in his face. Yeah. And that just hurt. Yeah. Fully agreed. All right, so let's hit let's hit the forwards now. Obviously, we've mentioned D. Vakarigi. Thank you for your service, sir. Um, good luck moving forward. We mentioned the now 30-year-old Sadio Mane, who by all accounts, it looks like that cell is probably on the horizon. We'll see. But uh, how about everyone else? I mean, we do have the now 30-year-old Roberto Firmino in the mix. Uh, Mohamed Salah has already said that he wants to be here next year, so that's kind of like no question. It's just like fingers crossed we can work out a deal to keep him here long-term after that. But you've got like... Bobby, who's now 30 and not really a, a consistent starter. You've got uh, Taki, who like we love, but has never really quite broken into the rotation fully. Um, you've got uh, Shea Yoja. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've got uh, a youngster like Cade Gordon. You've got um, a guy like uh, Diego Jota, who obviously we, we love and is a big-time contributor now. Um, and should stay in that rotation. But, like, you look at all these guys, and, of course, you got the newcomer, Luis Diaz. You look at the forward position, what do you see? Do you see any potential other moves here, Alex? I think it'd be good to loan Gordon, get him mm-hmm. more consistent first-team playing time at a, in an upper-level league, and I think he's quality enough to earn that move and would play. So I don't think we sell him for sure, but I think a loan is probably on the horizon. I don't want him to go, but I think Taki will probably go. I think he knows mm-hmm. like he he's not really going to be a major player. He did he was a cup hero in both our cup runs. I mean, our leading scorer in both cups that we ended up winning. Um, but I, I think the fact that he didn't play in either final kind of shows him what he needs to know about his role within the team, which yeah. sucks because I, I really like him as a player. Um, and uh, I know we've mentioned it before, but he joined the team at probably the hardest time to join a team, and I think that just kind of affected him the entire time he's been here, but he'll go somewhere else, and he'll play a bunch. He's a good player. Yeah, uh, Kind of like Ox can't hold it against him, and it would probably be best for both parties. Uh, I, I think the rest stay. I want the rest to stay. Uh, including Sadio, <laughs> including Origi. Yes. Uh, but um, I, I think the one, the, the, I think we look at Bobby and we look at Hendo as well this next upcoming season and we start seeing their roles reducing. Uh, yeah. Bobby's already been reduced quite a bit because he's been injured most of the season. But I think even when he's fit, we see his role reduced a bit. Uh, I think we see Hendo's role reduced a bit as well. Um, considering the youngsters that we're betting in and the the next step of our play and just all the miles that he has on his legs and, and the the speed of what we're trying to play. So I, I think they will be valuable players and play a lot. It's just I think we take that next step um, and kind of the the ending, the breaking up of the the big three that we've had is probably an indication, a good time to start making those evolution 
evolutions. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, and I'm also, I think Bobby taking a bit more re- reduced role also allows Jota to play in his position because I, I know Will theorized that he was injured most of the second half of the season or just exhausted. But yeah, when Diaz joined, you couldn't really move him off the left. And Saturday was playing through the middle and playing well, which meant that Jota didn't get to play either of his positions and just was thrown in wherever. And yeah. it clearly did not reflect well on him. He did not really play that well in the latter half of the season or the latter stage of the season. The, the half, I think overall was good, but he just looked kind of unsure of where he was supposed to be. So, I mean, he's so good at being a striker uh, or so good at being a left winger as well that he will grow. And this also seems like an area where we're going to look to sign someone, especially if Sadio goes. Uh, plus, we have Carvalho playing either mid or left wing, or and Harvey playing either mid or right wing. Yeah, I mean that's one thing about like Harvey and and, and all that is is the versatility. Um, there are some versatile guys here. You know, I think yeah, I can't find any area in which I disagree with you. I like what you pointed out about you know uh, going back to the midfield a bit, but talking about Hindo and his role moving forward. I think you're right. I think as well, I'd also think uh, I see us, you know, changing his role a little bit more just at the just to help him rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's still as like the captain and as a guy that has struggled with these like lingering injuries for years, still made 35 appearances this past season. Like good grief. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that not so much to, as just as a reflection of like him getting a little bit older and style changes, blah, 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 all that stuff you said uh, that you've already said, I don't need to harp on again. That was great insight, but also just, you know, I don't have anything to add. You summed it up. You did well. Thank you. Um, But yeah, also just the fact that he's got so many miles, he he needs some, some time where he doesn't have to be out there. Um, I think that's huge. Uh, But yeah, with Bobby, I could see Bobby being the new Divock now. Um, and taking that role of you're the guy that we count on to come in in the last 20, 25, 30 minutes of a match and just disrupt instead of being full 90 minutes of disruption. Now yeah. <laughs> do that in a short amount of time. I definitely see that happening. Um, I am curious to see about the the youngsters we bring in and what whether we're bouncing them back and forth between mid and, and the wings or what is going on there. But yeah, this is a, a bit of a transition time. Uh, for us in terms of we have the luxury of working in new guys that will take up the mantle um, fully in a few years from some of these other guys while still getting to enjoy the guys that are in the prime and playing at the level they're playing. It's a fun, fun place to be in. And this is a team that I can't wait to to keep watching. And I'm already, already looking forward to next season. Which um, starts tomorrow. Which starts tomorrow, yep. Uh, the I assume that the Premier League uh, schedule, what, should come out in the next couple of weeks, I think? Yeah. June 16th. So when June 16th rolls, about, rolls around, we'll have some more to talk about, I think, on the podcast, especially uh, if we want to plan a, a podcast uh, trip to the UK um, to go watch the team in person because I think we owe it to ourselves to catch this squad um, it, at Anfield sometime yeah. uh, next year. But we'll, we'll be touching on that soon. But I think on that note, we will wrap up this episode here uh, and officially wrap up this season, a season that, um, I, I you know, other people may try to bring us down about the way the season ended or something. They can't touch us. This was an incredible year. And we're going to cherish this season. Alex, any closing thoughts you want to you wanna add to this entire season? Uh, it was super fun. It was super great. Um, excited to see where we go from here. It seems like we have our sights set on some pretty big transfer targets as well. And I know that's always a super fun part of the summer transfer window. Yep. And I just hope nobody gets hurt because there's a bunch of games still going on. Yeah. There's no rest for any of these players. Ever. <laughs> yep. I'm with you on that. Hey, we'll uh, well. thank you for listening. We will touch base with you sporadically throughout the summer as news breaks and we need to do quick reaction pods 
uh, to any transfers that do happen. Um, we'd like to, of course, do a little reaction pod to maybe uh, season schedule release as well. well. We'll be in touch. Pay attention to our social medias, our Twitter in particular, YNTA podcast there, in which we'll keep you updated. We want to thank you for listening to this episode and thank you for being with us this season, which has been a, uh, a bit of an odd season on the pod. Um, more sporadic as we've all been a little bit extra busy in our regular lives. Thanks for putting up with us. Thanks for being patient with us. We've enjoyed it as always, bringing this, this dumb little podcast to you. And we're very thankful for all of you, to all of you for listening along the way. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the final episode of the 2021-2022 season of You'll Never Talk Alone. Thank you to Alex Lovell. And uh, we dedicate this, of course, in the honor of our friend Andrew Ainsworth, as always. <laughs> and a big shout out to Will Caves and our YNTA co-founder, Zach Osborne. Uh, much love to all of them. Thank you. I'm your friend, Joseph Craven, and we'll catch you next time. Woo! We did it.